Well, greetings and welcome to our Fresh Text monthly bonus episode for the month of March. Todd here, the editor at the Fresh Text team. We're delighted to continue our monthly conversation series today with this discussion between John and Dr. Chris Bounds. Chris is a professor of Christian doctrine at Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University and brings a wealth of historical and theological insight into this conversation, which centers on the history of Lent and atonement. With it being the Lenten season, this episode is available in the Fresh Text general feed for all listeners. However, if you enjoy this discussion, be sure to check out our Patreon homepage at patreon.com forward slash fresh text to see all the ways that you can engage with a variety of bonus content on offer each week and each month. Now, without further ado, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Dr. Chris Bounds and John. So this will drop in in the first Friday of March. So it'll be during Lent. So I just kind of wanted to ask you, and again, we don't have a, a heavy agenda here. See where it goes. Just to just ask you. I mean, even just to start about about Lent and about yeah. Holy Week and Easter and and the practices and the doctrines associated. Just what's uh, what's on your mind and heart lately about those sorts of topics? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think about sort of the history of Lent and the development of Lent, and at least the language of Lent, develops relatively early. You know, late 2nd century and 3rd century of, of, of Christianity. They're, they're it's begins. older than the Nicene Creed. It's, it's, it is. It's older than the practice of, of, of Lent is, is older than the Nicene Creed. But what's interesting... I like to point out things that are older than the Nicene Creed <laughs> yeah. to guys like you. <laughs> the Apostles' Creed. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the Apostles' Creed is older than that. Yeah, yeah. You, 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 you like teasing. To, I'm teasing. to do that. That's right. That's right. That's right. But, I, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, old, yeah. um, you know, the, the language of Lent is uh, associated, of course, with the, the the sort of period of time in preparation for Easter. And uh, Was the 40 days notion there earlier, or did that come later? Well, you know, in many ways, the idea of Lent centered around not just what happened to Jesus in his 40 days. And, of course, the language in Latin and Greek is 40. Uh, oh, I didn't know. Uh, yeah, the, the original Greek and Latin where, you know, we've translated in English is Lent, but the original Greek and Latin is 40. Oh, a period of 40 or 40 days. But it, it, it could encompass, for instance, not just a reflection upon Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness of, uh, of fasting and, and the temptation that was there, but oftentimes it was joined with uh, Moses, the 40 days he spent mm-hmm. without food and without water on Mount Sinai Up receiving Mount Sinai. Uh, uh, the Ten Commandments, and then the 40 days of Elijah. Right. As, as well. And so those sort of uh, Moses 40 days, along with Elijah's 40 days, along with Jesus' uh, 40 days in the wilderness, there's a sense in which those became the uh, dominant ideas or themes hmm. uh, during the, the, the season of Lent. But, I, you know, just in the history of Christianity, there's so many different things that have been done during the season of Lent. As you, you know, in the early uh, church, early Christianity, it was the catechetical this where the catechetical lectures, Cyril of Jerusalem's catechetical lectures, much of taking a catechumen becomes an advanced catechumen, preparing for baptism during the season of Lent. So 
season of Lent is uh, is a time of preparation for for baptism. I know more of the tradition in our Protestant tradition is baptism on Pentecost, uh, but but in early Christianity it was um, it was on Easter. It's on Easter. So baptism so, at the Easter vigil. So you'd spend the. So maybe a lot of people might be fasting, but the more radical fasting and prepping might be these catechumens, which would be people preparing for baptism. Yeah, I would call them, you know, there was sort of this initiation of being made a catechumen, and that was a person who could be a part of the first part of the service, hear the preaching and the liturgy, but would have to be dismissed for the mystery of of the Eucharist. So Um, there was initiation that came before that status. Yeah, yeah. You probably are are familiar with... uh, it, it, at least this it, this would be true. I haven't studied the catechism it, it, the way it, you have. Man. In, in North is, African, the North okay. African, this would be Augustine, the, okay. the, the Augustinian hippo, sort of the practice that would take place, is that, that you had to interview with a person before you became a catechumen. So it might okay. be the question of, so why do you want to become a Christian? Okay. You know, why Why are you beginning this this process? And oftentimes it could be a dream or, you know, a prayer mm-hmm. uh, to the God of Christianity, a prayer to Christ and healing. But anyway, it could be a number of different reasons. And then the the person who would do the interview would basically give an overview of the biblical narrative, you know, of God, creation, fall, redemption, you know, in mm-hmm. Christ and Christ coming. And do you believe it? And um, if they testified to believing it, uh, there was uh, the laying on of hands, uh, the, the sign of the cross on the forehead, throwing salt on them. And mm-hmm. uh, that officially, uh, they became a, a catechumen at that point. And would that usually be sometime well prior to an Easter baptism? And then there'd be a season that yes, could yes. last how long? A it, year could, it could last even? years. It could okay. last five or ten years. And in, in many ways, it... Is there was, was there some spook around baptism? Like, once I do this, I'm like all the way in, I can't go back. That's kinda? right. Okay. That's right. Yeah. So I've heard that sort before. of the sowing of the wild oats, so to speak, if you're gotcha. a, 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 anything else. But part of so it... the behavioral expectation was there maybe were, a little the, 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 there looser. Were, the, there okay. were expectations. As, as, as you know... Uh, Early on, people delayed baptism because the idea was, you know, even Constantine struggled with this, uh, yeah. you know, this idea of living a sinless life. I cannot, you know, baptism will only cover my my, my sins of the past. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Of, of the past. And of course, by the time of Augustine, you know, once you were baptized, you could deal with venial sins through praying the Lord's Prayer, alms, the giving of alms and, and, and stuff like that. But still, some there was difficulty of, been emerged, of, of mortal sin, you know, of dealing with very serious uh, sin. I, again, I know you're familiar with Cyprian. And, of course, what do you do with the lapse, those who renounce their faith in Christ? And, and of course, Cyprian is reminded as, as sort of that this idea that the church is a hospital for, for sinners and not a haven mm. for saints. But still, if you remember, it was a seven-year process before the lapse could be of brought back into to full fellowship with the church. So, so it's, it's pretty pretty serious discipleship mm-hmm. um, in many ways. So it could last a year, two years, three years, five years, between one became a, initiated as a catechumen and, again, attending and being a part of the first half of the Christian worship service, then being dismissed for the second half. Um, But then generally, just before the season of Lent, there would be a call. How Mm. many of you are ready to be baptized? Uh. And uh, people would, so to speak, sign up, and they would go through a real serious immersion 
in the Christian faith. And basically, a great part of the catechetical process was explaining the creed. Uh, right. Uh, explaining the creed, unpacking the creed, unpacking Christian practices, and, so and unpacking the mysteries of, of what would take place in the Eucharist. Yeah, so I know that there's St. Cyril of Jerusalem has his famous catechetical lectures, and we have Gregory of Nyssa has the Great Catechism. That's right. be somewhat yes. parallel, the yes. very different style, of course, a bit more of a poet. Uh, but oh, yes. but uh, yeah. and then Augustine's would it be Enchiridion that would be well, kind of like that? It would or? be similar. To, it'd be similar to that. We do have his sermon to catechumens. Oh, that, that's what that would have been. Yes, okay. his Chiridion sermon to the catechumens been. is actually an unpacking of the creed. Okay, so it, that's where it would be. And, the, and these would be sermons, lectures, talks. That's right. They probably would question and answer. The, the form we have is probably later. That's right. And summary, usually right? it would be done in the morning before people okay, would go I was to work. Ask, when is it? In the okay. evening, morning and evening. And it was a period of time of fasting. Okay. And oftentimes, so for Usually during Lent, though. During, during the season up. of Lent. Mm-hmm. So not instead of the Sunday sermon. That would be, this would be a special additional. It would be addition, usually during the week. Oh, it would be done okay. dur- during the week. They would meet together, and usually in the morning and in the evening. And again, it would be a time of, of fasting. It would also include some sort of odd things that we might view, but I, I, I appreciate <laughs> I so, like the odd stuff. Yeah, the, the, odd, the, the sort of odd stuff. Uh, so uh, oftentimes during the season of Lent, people would not take baths at all. Of course, that's not unusual, but to go 40 days— Without but man, that makes baptism. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's you can really see where cool. that went heightened. Uh, you know the, the the idea of being cleansed. You know through the waters of, of, of baptism, but also just like it, going hungry and then taking the Eucharist oh, would be so powerful. That's right. That's which right. I've done that yeah. when I've broken my fast with <laughs> the Lord's Supper. Which, dear listener, if you've never tried it, it's just amazing to break your fast with communion. It's a really powerful way to break your fast and. It is, but I never thought of the, the the bath idea. Don't let don't let our my teenage son hear that. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't, don't, don't let but him. Dad, I, I gave up showers for Lent. <laughs> but you know, it, it, this is you, as you know, with especially with early Christianity, the only way that I know to explain it is is this understanding of an embodied soul. Hmm. And, and even though there's this distinction made between the soul and, and, and for the body, they did in many ways understand it as a whole. But as a result of that, it's not just enough to hear a word, verbal, to use the language of verbal signs. Uh, we need physical signs as well. And even if you read Cyril of Jerusalem's catechetical lectures, he talks about why we need these physical signs. Hmm. And again, he's going to talk about soul and, 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 and body and the mist. How the words, you know, touch our minds. But we need, you know, physical signs to touch our bodies as well. So you have these sort of, uh, so going without bath. Another thing is oftentimes during the season of Lent, if you were married, you would abstain having sex with your, your, your spouse during this time. Uh, and so if both were going up for baptism, obviously, that could be a special process. But if only one was, I could see that would be another reason not to sign up for baptism. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. But uh if you read Cyril of Jerusalem's catechetical lectures, you will notice that in his first sort of introductory lecture, he realizes that many people are signing up for baptism to go through this catechetical process in the season of Lent, that they are doing it for a variety of reasons. Mm. And many of them are not necessarily uh, holy reasons, uh, not necessarily with the, the right motives behind doing it. And still, nevertheless, 
you know, he says, uh, whatever has brought you to this point, whether it be for good reasons or good intentions or, or not, Jesus is casting his net wide. Ah. Let him catch you. It, Ooh, that imagery. Oh, it's much like, as you said, Gregory of Nyssa's great catechism. There's, I think in the Cappadocian Fathers, Gregory Nazianzus and Gregory of Nyssa, there's, I think, rhetorical genius. Yeah. That's even, even more apparent in uh, the Greek. But even in the English translations, you, can sense, you yeah. can you can sense the rhetorical genius that is there. The same thing. This is the reason why uh, Cyril of Jerusalem. I don't mean to focus on Cyril of Jerusalem here. Well, it'd, be, just, the, it'd be the because we it, also it have. Is, it's an excellent example of because we of also these have the Linton what's that gal's concerns. name from Spain who took a trip to Jerusalem and wrote a book, Eudoria's Travels, something like that. Oh, we yeah, actually yeah. have a, a travel log published from that time when he was bishop. So we have a description of worship life in Jerusalem at the same time Mm -hmm. as this. And so you get kind of some independent... Wish I could remember her name. Yeah, the name of this uh, this this woman. Um, I'm, I'm going to look it up. Why not? Right? Yeah. Why why, uh, why deprive anyone? So, Agaria. That's her name. Agaria. You're right. Right. So it's the the pilgrimage of Agaria or Agaria's travels. I remember my dad reading that when I was in college. He was teaching worship and the history of worship. This is before Constance Cherry oh, came. Right. Right. When he right. was. And Building. he wrote his, his combination That's was right. the wonder the wonder of worship. Yeah, yeah, wonder of worship has some some quotations and typical of you and me to be like, well, I want to learn about the doctrine. Well, <laughs> I mean, we're be, interested uh, in the uh, we're interested right, in the right. body, but only so far. <laughs> <laughs> but me tell, me, tell me about the doctrine. But but my father, of course, was like, what did they do? Like, where was the stuff located, and what was the plan of the room? And That's right. Yeah, but yeah. that gives an extra punch to it. Is it's not doctrine. We, we, of course, all this doctrine from the early centuries was accompanied by practice, but we don't always have That's right, that practice, whereas have. there is this still to this day rich tradition of pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Sure, sure. And, and, and enough people have seen pictures and maps of Jerusalem in their Bibles that it's, it's, a, it's a way in to thinking about Lent and about catechism and about baptism because you can kind of visualize it them kind of you know going through the through this experience together absolutely absolutely so it gives it some flesh like you were saying it's it's embodied soul right it is it it is yeah not just ideas not just doctrines although i want to talk about doctrines we should we should get there we should get there (laughs) anything else you want to say about lent though before we maybe talk a little bit about well i was just going to say that's one example of how lent is is handled and as a part of that catechetical process heavy emphasis on repentance heavy Mm. emphasis on turning from uh, from sin heavy emphasis on spiritual battle and spiritual Mm. warfare so again this temptation narrative of jesus where, where the devil comes and uh, confronts yeah. Christ. And there is this, this expectation that in this Lenten process, a part of what's happening is the renunciation of self, but also this idea of a spiritual battle that is waged between the believer and uh, in, in the enemy in this, in, in this process. So, again, in, in Cyril's catechetical lectures, uh, there's a lot of uh, emphasis on the, the devil in, in spiritual battle and what the enemy is going to do and is doing. And, and of course, there's the rite of exorcism that is uh, 
that is talked about, and then the renunciation of, of Satan that takes place before one goes down into the three times, into the right? waters. Yeah. So those are the those are the interesting things. But I was going to give that you links just, it though to. I mean, it's almost like it's funny because you and I both have roots in kind of revivalist Christianity oh, yeah, yeah. and continue to practice a, a, a form of revivalist Christianity. Mm-hmm. And ironically, it's usually churches like that that are often the most resistant to Lent. Ooh, that's Catholic. Yeah. But the irony is, is historically, Lent is kind of basically the ancient version. Of camp meeting is what I'm hearing. No, you no, say. no. That's exactly. Okay. You're, 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 you're right. This, this okay. is where the, the, it's sort of a crash course in Christianity yeah. in, in all aspects. So there's teaching. There's, there's teaching. Worship. There's the spiritual warfare. The spiritual elements. warfare. The spiritual battle. The praying. Being prayed for. Being prayed over. The laying on of hands. <laughs> I never saw it. You I know all of that. I, I don't know that I've quite made that connection. But you're, but you're right. This was the ancient uh, church's camp meeting. Uh, yeah. so to speak, that would uh, that would take place. Which, again, camp meeting emerged organically and randomly and yet became a an annual or biannual mm-hmm. affair. Yeah. Just as Lent itself probably, at least, uh, again, it's earlier than the 4th century, but in the 4th century, with a big influx of converts, they were dealing with a practical problem, which yes. is yes. these people just want to be converts because it's the new thing to do. So we need to like make sure they're really into it. And so that's right. They were intentionally putting up some boundaries, right? I mean, it was they, they the intensity were. wasn't on accident. It was. And again, if you see the the, the first lecture that Cyril gives, he, he calls out some of the reasons why they're there. One of which is some of you are here because you're interested in the young woman. Yeah, uh, or young women, you're here because of a young man that that is here. So it's just, it's it is interesting. He 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 does call out the the sort of unspiritual reasons why yeah, uh, we line. might be seeking to 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 do uh, to embark upon this journey. Yeah, there's a line in Soren Kierkegaard's uh, Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing, where he talks about how we all get converted for the wrong reasons. Otherwise, you wouldn't need to get converted. <laughs> so we all we all have impure motives. So then, the journey of constant conversion, the rest of life, yeah. is coming to embrace the real reasons. Yeah, yeah it, of course we can. Of isn't that we, Bernard of Clairvaux? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure that's where we begin with our love, the levels of love. And that's right. That it, would map that, it, wouldn't it? it? Yes, yes. And, and the first reason why we 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 come to Christ is for ourselves, for our own selfish reasons. Love we, of God for love of self. I yeah, want to escape hell. That, wanna, that's right. That's right. I want. And nothing wrong with girls that. At youth yeah, Group, nothing wrong right? with that. There, there's a deeper love, greater love than than, than that. But that's, but where's it go? But, love, but it, of, love of love. God for love of self, and then it becomes. Yeah. No, it's just the worst. Is just love of self for the sake of the self. Yes, that's the, yes. But that's usually where it begins. That's where it starts. Yeah, your, your Christian journey sort of begins there, and then of course it culminates. Then it becomes uh, to, love of God for love of self, and then yeah. love of. Uh, the love of self love of for God the sake of God is, is the highest. Is the highest. Is the highest That's the love. beautiful. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. Think love of God for the sake of God is level three. Yeah, that's right. But level four. Yes, is love of self. For I the think sake it's of beautiful. God. Oh, it's, so it's, it's actually it's, it's yeah. the transformative impact on ourselves. Yeah. How do I actually see God's image in me and live accordingly? Yeah. You know, one of the things right, that, that maps on perfectly. Yeah, yeah, it, it does. It does. I was going to give you one other example of, of how, at least in the early church. Uh, so, for instance, uh, you're familiar with uh, Basel's Hexameron. 
his his sermons on the six days of creation. Right. It would it would not be unusual to do a sermon series in the early church uh, on the Hexameron during the season of, of Lent. Oh well, because it's six weeks. That's right. That's Seven. right. Uh-huh. So there were there were a variety of things huh. that that were were done that. and were practiced during the the, the season of, of of Lent. Sometimes I think we get locked into a particular way of doing Lent, mm-hmm. and at least what I see within early first 600 years of Christianity uh, is it's done in a variety of, of Great ways. variety. Well, that's very, for, for, for any of our listeners who are engaged in their own kind of Lenten practice or resistant to it because they've only seen one particular mm-hmm. way, um, but especially for anyone who's leading others in Lenten experiences, to give, give yourself permission to, to get, it's just hearing you share this today is very permission giving to... To explore some variety. Yeah, there are a variety of ways in which to, to, to remember the season of Lent, to, to engage in the, in the season of Lent in the history of, of Christianity. Huh. I was just, I, I was thinking, usually before Ash Wednesday, before Ash Wednesday, in, in the Eastern tradition, Eastern Orthodox tradition, is usually uh, the Sunday in which there is the, the celebration or the remembrance of St. Zacchaeus. Hmm. Zacchaeus, who uh, in joy of, of Jesus, you know, uh, as a tax collector, goes and returns half of everything that he has hmm. you know, to, to the poor. And, and so uh, in the Eastern tradition, Zacchaeus is held up as, a, as someone to look at in preparation for the season of Lent. Which also fits the... He's in Jericho, so it's on the way to Jerusalem. Yes. So that has a nice yes, yeah, yeah. physicality to it. That's right. That's right. So all of that to say is uh, again they're they're making different restitution, things. different practices. restoring fourfold anyone who was cheated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's freely done. That that's that's good. Yes. Yeah. So uh, that that was at least in the Eastern tradition, that's a, a common practice. You know, during the in preparation for the season of of, of Lent. But I, I love that. It's, this is the joy for me of church history mm-hmm. and the practices of historic Christianity is it gives you a full range. You're not necessarily locked into just certain things, but there, there are a variety of practices, yeah. a variety of ways of, of being able to observe a season like Lent. Yeah, well, let's let's take another break and come back and explore some of that variety on the on the doctrinal side as well. back. Welcome back to Fresh Text, a bonus episode here with Chris Bounds, uh, talking about uh, Lent and, yeah, mostly just about Lent so far. That's fun. That was great stuff. I didn't know a bunch of that stuff, man. You ended on variety, and I really did want to talk about this maybe for the close here is there's so many ways that people talk. I've been exposed to a variety of ways of talking about how the death and resurrection of Jesus saves us. And I'm sure you have too. And I, I imagine a lot of our listeners have probably been, some have been exposed to a lot and maybe are confused and could use some clarification maybe. Mm-hmm. And then others of our listeners maybe have only ever heard one way of talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus as saving. So I don't know. I just would love to hear you talk about the death and resurrection Jesus and, and how that yeah. how that does something for us and yeah yeah, yeah. 
No, I, I, it's, it's, it's amazing. And of course, many theologians, at least in the Orthodox Christian tradition, recognize that we are ever plumbing the depths of what takes place, mm-hmm. you know, on, on the cross. I, I'm just thinking much like many people, uh, uh, James Cone's book, uh, The Cross and the Lynching Tree, mm-hmm. um, and just thinking about the identification with suffering, which is the, the, the focus that he talks about mm. uh, in, in the midst of it. And I, I think that's absolutely it. Anyway, it's, it's a way of thinking about what takes place on the cross that actually is transformative and empowering, mm. at least in the way that, that, that Cone describes it. And, and even though that is not the way that historically we've reflected upon what takes place on the, on the cross, I just think, yeah, I, I, th- I think he's right. He has an insight into— And once you it, see it, it, you it, can't it, unsee it. That the, that, 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 that's that right. The lynching right. tree was the modern American form of crucifixion. crucifixion. It had all the elements of shame— of power, state power, violence. Yes, yes. But then, how out of that came a sort of an empowerment and of resistance. Yes, the strange fruit of that great. So I was just saying that's not the way that historically we have reflected upon the. the so I'm, all of this is to say, ever plumbing the depths of the riches of yeah. what takes place through the cross and resurrection of of, of Jesus Christ. I, I, this was something that I read uh, before Christmas. And so I spent some time at Christmas reflecting uh, upon that. But I was just giving that as a as an example. I was just trying to think about in my own another plumbing of the depth, so a new insight. A yeah, new, new insight. Yeah, it does. He himself expresses frustration in that book that the the spirituals and the blues and jazz see it right, right, but it's hard to find in the preachers and the theologians. Yes, exploiting this idea, referencing it, though it would have been felt and thought. That's right, and, and 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 that's an interesting, and often that's how it works. Is is an insight comes through the poets and the musicians first, and is sometimes even resisted by the professional theologians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> At uh, Lex Orendi, Lex Credendi. There you go. Uh, there is a sense the in which we do prayer is the law of faith. Faith it flows. It, it, it flows. There is there is a sort of recognition of a reality or an articulation of a reality, and then it's the reflection afterwards yeah. that that develops our understanding uh, of it. So, but I, I was just reminded as I, I read through uh, his book, I, I was deeply moved uh, by that, and uh, in many ways, his discussion remind it was different, but reminded me of, of Jurgen Moltmann's work, mm-hmm. uh, the Crucified God. And yeah. of course, in Moltmann's book, again, he talks about that we see in the cross of Jesus Christ that God and suffering are not a contradiction, but that God's being is in suffering and suffering is in God's being. Now, there's some theological problems from historic Christian orthodoxy in regard to that very statement. But, <laughs> but, but, but I imagine you'd say so. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. But I, I was deeply moved uh, uh, by that and, and realized it, it comes out of the problems for me that exist in Luther. Uh, in Luther's uh, theology of the uh, of the cross, but to get back to all of this, I, I guess I would begin by saying is that I think, um, much like we were talking about scripture, I think our limitations or our weaknesses is that we can get stuck with just understanding it in, in one particular way, hmm. and uh, we need a variety of ways in which to to see it. And I do think that oftentimes the circumstances of our lives will affect what we get from it. Hmm. Um, so, 
you know, this is this is Odin's in his systematic theology. He talks about you know sort of four major views okay. of, uh, of of the cross: the Christus Victor view of the cross, the satisfaction view of the cross, the moral influence view, and then uh, the governance view. So right. uh, it all address a particular human problem that Christ addresses through the cross and, and through through resurrection. But the truth of the matter is, it, depending on where we are in life, the circumstances of our life will often dictate what we need to receive, <laughs> you know, from uh, from the cross. So, I, 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 as, it's as the I, opening line of Anna Karenina by uh, Leo Tolstoy, this opening line it says probably one of the best opening lines of a novel ever. It says, "All happy families are the same. All miserable families are miserable in their own unique way," <laughs> and. I mean that the principle hiding there is that there's something that our partic- our particularity and our misery are intertwined. Yes, such that it would make sense that if we understand salvation in a kind of problem solution logic, yes, that the nature of our problem as we feel and experience it, it kind of controls the metaphor, right? So like if it does, if, if it does. what I need is is God to defeat my enemies, you know, then that Christus Victor Absolutely. is really attractive. Yes. The the cross is something, you know, he undergoes to play a trick on the devil. Mm-hmm. When I'm experiencing cross day in and day out, you know, to hear that he's at work defeating those oppressors is really powerful. Whereas if I'm maybe in a situation of where I have done some horrible things... That satisfaction that he takes my punishment for me is really, really, that's a real relief of my conscience. Yeah, yeah. And I think sometimes we get intentions and battles in churches because, I don't know, because maybe particular people in power or just the momentum of tradition, we've privileged one over the other. Yeah, Yeah. and so we're threatened by the assertion of an alternative. Right, right. But when the elephants fight, the, the ground suffers, right? And so the... Most people are just, they don't have a theory of atonement. They just are living their lives. And it can be confusing hearing all these different That's right. views. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think in our, especially in our Protestant tradition, it gets reduced to somehow what takes place on the cross. It brings about the forgiveness of my sins or uh, it brings don't about. Too many the, questions. The, 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 I can't explain it. Right? The, yeah, I don't know how that takes place. Uh, uh, or or it, it sets me free from shame uh, in, mm. in, in life through his. His shame, uh, I the, the shame that I've incurred in, in my life. Are you, you know, personally attracted to one of these models more than another, or has it been that you've moved through them, or have you I, found a way to kind of juggle them all? To, yeah, I, I think for me is um, I do think at times and places in my life I've needed different things from okay. the cross. I needed the message uh, okay. that uh, it, or this particular understanding of the cross. Uh, I've needed I've needed that in life. You know, uh, my own discussion of my testimony of how I came to Christ is uh, it wasn't an encounter with an idea. It wasn't proposition. It was it was the meeting of a person. Hmm. It was an encounter with a person, that being the encounter of Christ, to use the language of, uh, of Soren Kierkegaard. Yeah. You know, Christ came to me in the way of life. But of course, as he comes to me, this is, as you know, Kierkegaard, he doesn't look like God. 
Yeah. Uh, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't look like God. But I, I, I met Christ this evening. And, and I have to say this, that um, because of circumstances in my life, I struggled. I struggled with uh, not being wanted. Hmm. Not being wanted. It, it wasn't intentional on the part of my parents or, or my family. It was, it was, yeah, it, it, I guess, in many ways, the infirmities of my family, the circumstances of my life, what I went through in my elementary years, in my early junior high years. But I, I, I felt unwanted. Hmm. And to have in this moment that Christ came to me and I heard him, not audibly, obviously, although I'm, I'm, I think that, that may happen with some people. But I, I knew not just in my head, but I knew in the very depths of my soul that Christ was calling me to follow him. Hmm. And that it was a personal invitation. It wasn't just, you know, a preacher saying, you know, God loves you offers a wonderful plan for your life or or Christ died for you but it was knowing in the very depths of my of my soul that here was Christ standing before me and he wanted me hmm. he wanted me and it, it's it, and tied to to that it is is really in many ways the moral influence theory in the sense that as a part of different ways in which moral uh, moral influence has been articulated is that you know sin or the enemy lies to us it leads us to believe that uh, that uh, we no longer matter to God or because of our sin God no longer loves us or is ashamed of uh, uh, of us and and for someone having grown up in the south I I never doubted that there was a God. I never doubted, you know, the basics of the Christian faith because I grew up in the Bible Belt. But I just never thought about God really wanting me. Yeah. In, in a deeply personal sense, and, and and I knew that. And I'm just reminded because this is this is Gregor of Nyssa's on his his great catechism. You know, he talks about why do, must Christ die on a cross. And he examines a number of reasons why Christ must die, one of which is it, it was a tree that got us into this problem, and it's a tree that's going to get right. us out of this, this trouble. But he also says the cross is the only form of uh, execution in which a person dies with their arms stretched open wide. Huh. And this is forever a testimony of, of, of Christ wanting to embrace anybody who would turn and, and, and come and, and come to him. So that's that it, wide net again, right? It is. It, other, it, it, is, it, is it is the wide. But part of his part of his point is is that this is the ultimate testimony to the love of God, hmm. which is uh, a part of the why there's so much more, as you know, to the moral influence than than that. But, uh, but it's all of that revelation. Say, I mean, the heart yeah, of it, it is. The, it's the, the. There's always a little bit of gold and a little bit of dross and all these models, right? Oh, yeah. And the, to me, the gold of moral influence, which is often dismissed as a kind of liberal oh, theory right, yeah. or whatever, the gold there is is revelation. Yes. That'd be, that'd be a, the revealing, yes. you know, the unveiling, the, the, the testimony, the witness, the expression of, of God's attitude and action. For it, us. And that's exactly what happened to me in that moment. That's Not so only personal. did I knew he wanted me, but I, I realized everything that he had done, that I was I was a part of that. 
I, I didn't believe I was the only reason why he died on the sure. cross and why he became incarnate. But I knew that I was a part of that, and he was. It was, it was a personal invitation. It's almost like to, you, to because you. It's almost like you lived the in a weird way, kind of lived the gospel stories of the disciples in reverse, where again, growing up in the Bible Belt and all that, and me in the other Bible Belt, the Rust Belt of <laughs> of Indiana, you know, where there's also a lot of. Kind of gen- general Christianity and 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 in a very uh, Christian home for me, but still you kind of know all the data points, you know, yes, yes. ascended, resurrected, right, coming right. back, died for us, blah blah blah. But in a way, I, I heard some of the simplicity of the opening chapter of Mark, you know, or the or you know, of right. come follow me, yeah. you know, he just chooses you. There's back to that simplicity, you know, and it wasn't because in some ways it sounds like for, for you and your your conversion experience, the cross as such was not really at the center of the image, though it was part of the whole. It was a part of the whole. But it was it part was, of the weight of the whole. It, it, it All of that was behind it his I want you. Yeah. But yeah. it wasn't the cross as an isolated event of Say salvation over against his life and resurrection. It yes. was more the whole. Am I hearing that right? No, no, you're you're okay. ab- absolutely right. But what happens later on, and you've heard me talk about this from time to time, is uh, coming to grips with the depths of sin in my own life. Okay, and and my bondage to it, and uh, and coming to a point in my life where. Um, yeah, I miserable, frustrated, and 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 the frustration arose uh, out of uh, the disparity between what I wanted my life to be in Christ and mm. what I was actually living out and and living enslaved into, you know, strongholds of sin, addictions, whatever you know you want to to call it. And um, the only thing that kept me going, I I've, this happened to me for a number of years in my life, and I. I one of the reasons why I'm so committed to this holiness message in our Wesleyan holiness tradition is uh, it's the only thing that kept me going. Hmm. It wasn't, um, you know, sometimes it can be preached and taught in such a way that it's, it's, it's the opposite it's, effect. It, right? Yeah, yeah, right. It's, it's, it's utter bondage and it, it's, it's, it's awful. But for me, I heard it is hope and liberation. So I, I, for me, I, I, I was drawn for a period of time in my life to the Christus Victor. Um, uh, model of hmm. an understanding of the of, of the atonement that that in some real sense I lived in bondage to to Satan and I lived in bondage to to sin and uh, again not quite knowing how that was brought about through the cross and and, and, and resurrection but uh, knowing that through that uh, there was the breaking of the power it, it, that gave me hope. Hmm. So it wasn't a, an experience, at least immediately in my life, but it gave me hope that this could be brought. So, so I looked to that understanding of the atonement and the resurrection as a, a word of hope uh, in, in, in my life. Not necessarily something that I immediately experienced hmm. in, in my life, but it gave me hope that it was something that could be done uh, through yeah. the death and resurrection of, of Christ. Well, that's powerful. So that's two. So the the official mainstream model in evangelicalism would be the satisfaction. Sure, thing. sure, yeah. Penal substitution. Although the time. although the that moral influence stuff on the ground for most evangelical Christians, that's what's dominating most of. That's what devotions are built on. That's what that's right. You know, that's a lot right. of preaching is actually built on that too. Oh, it's just without I, ever I, saying I, it. I I, I think I always ask the question 
uh, when I was working with 18 to 22 year olds mm. in a Christian college setting, you know, what brought you to Christ? And I, I'd usually go through these four basic models, recognizing there are others as well. But um, I would say 80% of the students, it was the moral influence. Yeah. 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 In terms of their actual experience. Yeah, their actual experience. Even it's not necessarily what they heard, but right. but it, it was communicated to yeah, them. It got, and, and, it got yeah, through. Yeah, yeah, uh, with, uh, with them. And, and so, then the Christus Victor thing emerges again. It has strong Eastern roots, and it can play out sometimes in more charismatic Christianity yeah, without yeah. being that term being used necessarily. But yeah. the language comes out. I, I mean, we don't have a ton of time left, but tell me more about this government thing. Has that ever you, you mentioned in your own personal narrative? Did you ever have an era where that clicked with you, or is that not a? Do you not have personal? Do you know, it, it did. I, I had more with the satisfaction view. Okay. I, I, that that uh, I realize in our our, our uh, Arminian tradition, there, there's a heavy influence at times on the the, the governmental, uh, yeah, the, yeah, governmental view. But that, that this probably has been less for me. Um, I, I struggled with, and maybe yeah, me some, too. Some, I don't get some, it. I want someone to teach it to me someday. Uh, although the governmental make, make me get it. You know? make you get. I mean, I've read and read and read, but it just kind of doesn't. It doesn't re- register. It, 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 it doesn't doesn't reso- uh, resonate as 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 much with me. And I, I think in I think for instance, penal substitution, depending on how it's described, can go into the governmental model, or it can or, go into the sat- satisfaction. Uh, Historically, it's been associated with the satisfaction as a kind of alternative version, because it's still kind of in that sort of justice. It seems like the problem is injustice and the order of the world, you know, like it it sort of shares a problem. Yes. Um, Yes. I I think maybe for me that my own sort of distinction between a governmental and a satisfaction view is that in a uh, satisfaction view, uh, sin is principally an offense against God. Got it. Okay. Uh, it, it's, it, it is uh, an offense against the character of, of God. Uh, it's a personal offense. Yeah. Whereas in a governmental view, it is more like God has established a moral order. And uh, we have broken this order that God has right. a, a, a established, and it must be punished. And so th- there's a sense in which God personally okay. is a little bit removed it's not okay. so much a, a although so, for Wesley you can't separate nah. the law of God from the character of, yeah. of, of, of God, but more of a separation. So there. the upside of this government talk would is is some theodicy. It kind of makes God less of a angry, wrathful. Yes, that's attractive. But yes. the downside is then it kind of puts God at a kind of deistic distance. And, yes. And the solution I, I, to our problem is, well, you guys need this. This this isn't for me. It's for you, right? Where the where or, the parent spanks you and says, "This hurts me more than it hurts." Or, or, or yeah. I would say this, if I could use, because I Please. think I yeah. see this in the church, some of the church fathers, in some of the church fathers, there is this is a way some of them uh, describe it is that uh, this is Gregory of Nyssa, this is Cappadocian fathers, Gregory uh, Nazianzus. Why could not God have brought about forgiveness by divine fiat? Yeah. yeah. Opening line this, of Athanasius. A- Athanasius, that's, that, 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 that's right. That's right. Uh, why could he, he not? And, uh, and Athanasius gives the answer, as does Gregory of Nyssa. <laughs> he could. And, and, and Gregory of uh, He could not. Yeah. No, I, I was uh, going to say, he yeah. could not. Why? Because it would make God a liar. 
Right, right. I remember, I don't know if you remember this. Yeah, One time right. uh, we were in the School of Theology and Ministry, and uh, you were teaching, and we were, and uh, some students caught us in the hallway and were asking, could God abide by divine fiat? And you said yes. Yeah. And I said no. no, you're right. We've had yeah, this you, argument you before. Remember this? Yeah, <laughs> I do. We had this. We had well, this. Was, we had the same point. Yes, we did. I think the point was he's not just forgiving because that wouldn't be. I mean, I actually kind of agree. Is the the point is is it would be, it would just be, empty forgiveness. Yes. It, it, it wouldn't. It wouldn't in the mean end, anything. that that's undergirding Athanasius' that's answer right. Right. Know, to the mis- he said that you, the day you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. Yeah, and, and, and so they would right. make, God a, they would yeah. make God, make God a liar. That would make God a liar if he if he didn't if he didn't do that. But behind that idea, you you have what I would call the beginnings of what would be called a, a governmental view. I see. Of, 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 of the I see that. Okay. Yeah. Because it has to do with the law and the violation of the law and God being a just God. Of course, I was, I was trying to th- I remember I uh, see that. Nyssa of uh, Gregory of Nyssa and his great catechism, you know, talks about in, in, in many ways uh, the attributes of God being in God one. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we can make these sort of distinctions. And so, um, but Anyway, he, t- he talks about justice. He has a specific uh, discussion yeah. of justice in, in regard to this very issue. And again, justice language tends to be more, from my understanding, uh, the governmental the governmental view. Right, because it's satisfying God is judge and, 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 and justice. That's right. It's, it's more honor in regard to the satisfaction. Which view. is why the governmental is associated with the early modern and the satisfaction associated with the medieval that, that's right. Of course, certain, Anselm. There's a lot of yeah. cultural an baggage. infinite offense. You know yeah. uh, that when we sin against God, we've committed an affront. Yeah, it's an infinite offense against an infinite being. Yeah, yeah, uh, God that is there. So, but so I, I see some antecedents, shall I call sure. it, the antecedents for a, a governmental view in, that's the, in the church. Actually, I see antecedents for all of these sort of mature views. Uh, you know, so obviously Christus Victor is is obviously there. I, I, I see antecedents for the governmental view. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Christus Victor always strikes me as kind of moral influence, less of a. And this is this is could be a compliment or an insult depending on your assumptions, but it's a little less of a theory and it's more of a yes, a tale, right? It's like, yes, isn't this cool? You that's know? right. Yeah, yeah, but it has a kind of I don't know. It's it's a, it has a narrative logic to it, but it doesn't explain the mechanism no, the way it, the others attempt to do, it, it, which it, I think are also their weakness, their their attempts at explanation. Whereas Christus Victor is a, is is a display. It's not an explanation at all. It's it's, it, a, it, it yeah. is not, and yet, there, and, and I guess maybe the beauty of it is the mystery of it. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's the mystery of it because it, it it can't resolve it. So, for me, this breaking of the power of Satan through what takes place on the cross. Um, I mean, this is what uh, John affirms in the book of Revelation, uh, that we overcame the devil uh, yeah. by the blood of the Lamb yeah. and, and, and the word and the of our word testament. Of his testament. Yeah, yeah. And so there's something about— and even earlier in the Gospel of John, right, where he says, when I am lifted up, yes. I will draw all to myself. There's that image of drawing. Right. And a line or so before that, he says, now the hour has come. Now the Son of Man is glorified. Now the prince of this world is being cast out. Yes. Right? So there's the casting out of the prince of this world, Satan, 
by his being lifted up, which is an ironic language of sounds like exaltation, but he means being lifted up on the cross. Yeah, it says it the next verse. That's all John twelve. But there, I feel like this, uh, and of course the the Johannine imagery kind of dominated the reading of the New Testament for a lot of the Eastern fathers. They really love John. You know, (laughs) yes, they did. Yeah, they they did. I I was just can kind of see that. Again, it's not explaining the mechanics, but it's it's a picture, a word picture of the power of this seeming in this suffering, in this humiliation, there is somehow power, liberation and exaltation taking place. Yeah. And I don't know, half of the days I wake up and I'm like, yeah, but I want to understand how it works. <laughs> And then the other half of my days, I wake up. I'm like, I'm so glad I don't understand. I don't understand. <laughs> well, uh, you have uh, much more epistemological humility than maybe I have. And I, I, I still, I, I, I'd like to know. And yet, uh, I am drawn, of course, to the line, "The Witch in the Wardrobe," hmm. which, um, in, in some ways, picks up this old idea. What takes place is, uh, is, is, is really a, um, a ransom. But who's the ransom paid to? It is, in fact, paid to Satan mm-hmm. uh, or the white witch uh, in, in the end. Uh, but th- that narrative, that, that, that story, and I think that's the power of the Christus Victory. It, 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 it's a beautiful, it's a powerful narrative. But like all narratives, it, it's short on explanation. Yeah. It's short on explanation. Oh, yeah. It's like, I think it's probably the most powerful way of narrating and it's probably the least satisfying when it comes to being a theory like come on god had to pay the devil give me a break that just doesn't add up i i'm with anselm that doesn't add up yeah like the whole western view of satisfaction and all its problems was emerging out of solving a problem yes like i like pointing out to my students that one of the like in anselm's famous why did god become human is in a dialogue form and his dialogue partner's name is Bozo. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that meant what it meant to me. <laughs> Maybe it's because of this. I don't know. And Bozo is pretty much a dummy. He's just like, yes, Anselm, tell me more. You know, he's not a very, but he gets a whole page and a half yeah. uh, at one point. And he gets a whole page and a half where he says, where he basically like throws Augustine under the bus because the devil plays too big of a role right, right. in the story. And brilliantly, Anselm puts this all in Bozo's mouth instead of his own because he's kind of critiquing the master, Augustine. Right. You know, right. this do is that. a way right, to do right, it. Right, right, right. Yeah. And so he kind of had Bozo kind of say, so it kind of sounds like you're saying blah, blah, blah. And then this brilliant critique of the notion of God being God owing the devil anything. <laughs> I just find that, and I find that critique pretty powerful. Although I think. Say. I think we overcorrect if we take Satan out of the story completely because you need it because the story needs a bad guy. Mm-hmm. And if it's not the devil, it's either God or us. So it's either God is mad at us and he's the enemy <laughs> or we're the enemy because we're, you know, being, you know, our, our, our little sins count up our like somehow a, a, a capital offense, you know, and we need yeah, to be yeah. assassinated for it. And you can see why people came along and wanted to say something a little more positive, like this moral influence. God loves you and, and, and chooses you and includes you. Right. Rather than, man, God really would have hated you if Jesus wouldn't have jumped in at the last minute. 
you know. <laughs> Which is, uh, it's really, I, you know, I didn't hear that preaching. I heard about that preaching. Okay. I, See, but I, I heard did, it. I didn't hear that yeah. preaching. I heard about it. I do know that, I, I, I always think of your father, your father's generation, that would have been dominant when he was growing up. Mm-hmm. That would have been dominant, dominant language that is there. But I am I intrigued. I didn't hear it at my church as much, but I, heard, I went to a Christian school and I heard it at my school. Oh, you heard it? It was a little bit more Calvinist kind of culture. Okay. At the school. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, yeah, yeah. As you know, there are some in the Reformed tradition who believe if you don't grasp this, then this you've missed the, the, the you, gospel. You, 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 you've missed you've missed yeah. the gospel in regard to this. I was going to say one thing just in, in, in closing here, but you you picked up on it. This is my struggle as a person who is grounded and rooted in the Enlightenment, who's grounded and rooted in in, in modernity. Not that, and when I say that, I please hear me. I have a great appreciation for the postmodern critique of, of of modernity, but I am grounded in it. And so, what I I talk about scripture. Scripture isn't written to Chris Bounds. <laughs> it's not written to me. If it was written to me, it would be a systematic theology textbook. <laughs> that's that's what it would be. That, that that's what that's, that's what, what would satisfy. Yeah, that, that's that's interest. what I want. Yeah. And, and so even I talk about uh, from time to time my frustration with scripture. Because yeah. it's not what I want. I don't want a narrative. <laughs> I don't want a, a story. And yet, again, it reminds me that the Bible isn't written to me individually. Yeah. It's not written. It's, it's written to a community. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is, regardless of where Chris Bounds is in, in the midst of this, narrative is the most effective form of communication yeah. across culture, across time. And that's primarily, although it's not exclusive, but it's primarily, it's, a, it's, 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 it's given to us in a, in a narrative form. And it is the most effective way. Lewis understood this. Yeah. And even in his apologetics, when he moves towards the end of his life away from his apologetic or to, to narrative mm-hmm. uh, uh, apologetic, he, he realized that it's the story. That, that captures our imagination. It's yes. the story that captures our heart. It's not it's not the rational sort of logical argument in the end, except it captures someone like me. But but in the end that's but not even for even for not, geeks like us, Chris, like those more function, I feel like, to remove obstacles. Yes, it's yes. still the stories it's that still move the, story. the heart. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the it, argument it, doesn't it, move my well, heart. Well, well, the argument makes my heart be willing to move. Does well, that make sense? Right. Like the, well, it, the argument says, okay, I'm letting down my defenses because there was an art. Yes. But at the end of the day, it's the images. It's the stories. Well, we're all driven and defined us. by stories. Yeah. Yeah. By narrative where we're driven, formed, shaped. Even a cold um, rationalist by, like us. I know right? Even hey. though I don't want to be. I, I, <laughs> you're resisting. I, I, see, I, I, you're still fighting back, Chris. You, you need to you give it embrace, in. You, you need to give in. Yes, and, I, and I still, you know, I, I, I <laughs> last thing, origins, first principles. I always have viewed origin uh, as in his preface to first principles as, as really sort of my guide and model of what it is to be a theologian, mm-hmm. uh, which is to embrace orthodoxy. But where orthodoxy has been unclear or has not addressed, to press the boundaries mm-hmm. and, to, and and not be afraid to press and explore the boundaries. And of course, you see where it gets origin in the end. So I have to always remind myself in, in, in pressing those mysteries and, and pressing those those boundaries. I it can get you into trouble. Yeah, I can get, but I I, I love. I think uh, it's a good uh, model. I loved Origin's model though, and that's for me how theological development. That, that theology is dynamic, even within my understanding of orthodoxy. It's it's very dynamic. It's not static. 
it, it continues to develop and matures as we, as we press the boundaries. So I always appreciate people who press the boundaries. Yeah. That's the part of me. That's, you know, yeah. the seeking to understand That's or, right. or, or further apprehension, not comprehension, but further apprehension of, of this mystery. Um, I, I, it's part of me that wants to, exploring the to, to go, for, you know, go further. Mystery adored and explored, not just at a distance, but entered right. into. Oh, I love that. I so, adored and explored. I, I love that. Yeah. And if you really are going to enter into it, there has to be some exploring and among the modes of exploration would be dialectic and reasoning mm-hmm. and thinking through the systematic coherence yes. of a possibility. Yeah. And sign me up, man. Well, I think that's what drew me to systematic theology. And me too. It was, is me too. That's what's happening. And in, in, in I have a great, great appreciation for that. But that's another story to thinking about the doctrinal development and theological development. Well, maybe that'll be our next bonus episode. (laughs) To visit with you. Good to have this conversation. Oh, it was great. Thanks for giving an hour of your time. I'll just say now, thanks to all our listeners. This one might be out uh, for everyone to hear. If so, uh, if you want to get to hear great extra content like this, sign up to become a patron saint of the show. I got a day job. I don't see a penny of that. That's all go to support the, the staff behind the scenes that makes this happen. And if you are a patron of the show, hey, great. Uh, look forward to, to you enjoying future bonus episodes. And uh, yeah, thanks to Todd and Eric and their uh, great production work. Can't imagine doing this without them. Uh, thanks to all our listeners, especially our patron saints. I guess with that said, we say uh, have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. <laughs>